0: What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, Managing Editor, FightfulMMA.com, here on the Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. Of course, this show will be later syndicated on our pro wrestling channel as well. But if you're watching over there, head on over to the MMA and Boxing channel. Subscribe. I would really like for us to hit that 1,000 mark. Uh, we are getting closer by the day. Showdown Joe, I-, I would say he has the week off. He doesn't. James, <laughs> Joe is traveling to Kazakhstan which I have heard is the world's leader, leading exporter of potassium and that all other countries have inferior potassium.
1: Potassium is more,
0: right? Apparently. Apparently. He's there for Titan. Uh, as it turns out, next week is Christmas, so I told James, we're going to Frankenstein together a Fightful MMA podcast. You'll have some of his interviews. Hopefully, we'll talk to Joe about the Ryzen show, uh, but I know that... Myself and uh, James—we talking about the Ryzen show. We'll talk UFC 232 at the end of this show and put it together uh, with some unique insight next week and uh, the following week. Joe will be in Japan still from that Ryzen show, so no Joe until 2019. My God, I can just feel our our, our budget freeing up as as we speak. He's got that Brock Lesnar schedule, James.
1: He does. Hey, he's a busy guy. It's never, never, uh, n- never a bad thing to be busy like Joe is. He's getting those frequent flyer miles. I hope uh, you know, he's racking those up so he can go on a nice vacation uh, you know, after,
0: after he does all his work. In true Lesnar fashion, I can confirm that USADA lost his drug test that we had him take a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Didn't go into the system. It was a mess. So Christmas is coming up. What, what plans do you have, James? What's your Christmas look like?
1: I have to go back to Toronto, um, so I'm actually leaving on Monday, and I'm heading back, and I'm staying with my in-laws. Not my choice, but uh, hey, you got to keep the wife happy. So uh, we're going to be heading back because I'm pretty happy here with my family and everything. It's it's been good, but I uh, know we'll head back and gonna catch up with some friends. I'm actually going to be watching uh, the UFC 232 card with a, a group of my friends, so uh, in Toronto, so that'll be good. But uh, just taking it easy. Like it's weird to put that off switch on, but I pretty much have to because like it's going to be pretty tough to do interviews at my in-laws. So uh, I mean, I'll be doing some podcast stuff, but.
0: Uh, Uh, in general not not doing a whole lot of work which is very unusual for me well this was a packed weekend in combat sports Canelo fought Bellator 212 213 in case you forgot they were in Hawaii they had those guys parading around in Hawaiian shirts and had their announce table dressed up like a goddamn tiki bar Uh, but you all said UFC Milwaukee what show stood out the most to you
1: Yeah, that's tough. I think the Bellator Hawaii card, the the 213 card with Lima Lee McFarlane, and I know we're gonna touch on this later, but to me that really stole the weekend. I know the the Fox card was great, the you know, as far as them ending their deal with Fox, Mm -hmm. that was quite the card to go off on. Um, you know, everyone talking about Barbosa and, and Hooker and and you know, so much stuff that came out of that card. But to me, um, Bellator got to Hawaii before the UFC. I love the way they did the production. I mean, I know that the pacing was a little bit slow on some of the cards, um, but in general, I think they stole the show because they were there before the UFC. Everyone's dressed up in Hawaiian stuff, and I love them doing the old school Pride entrances where they get the fighters to walk out before the card starts. To me, that was the the story of the weekend, and I, you know, we'll talk about this later. But I think Alima Lane McFarland is a, a star for Bellator, and I think that was one thing the UFC definitely missed out on. So to me, it was
0: Bellator this weekend. Well, let's talk about the the subject while it's hot. I thought Alima Lane McFarlane was the story of the weekend, and Bellator, given the news over this week, looking pretty good head-to-head with UFC in a couple of instances. Malay McFarlane is the reason Bellator went to Hawaii. And you know, I, I question why they do back-to-back nights. This was a smart decision. They took the right cast of people. They knew it's going to cost us quite a bit to go to Hawaii. So they ran a lightweight championship fight Friday night, a women's flyweight championship uh, fight Saturday night, you had Machida there. You had Neiman Gracie there. You had a lot of good stuff on Bellator two thirteen. But the story was Alima Lay mcfarlane I can't put over Bellator enough. As, as often as I say they are a confusing run company, and a lot of their decisions don't make sense, and they don't. They could. I don't know that they could have done better with Alima Lay mcfarlane than they did. She like like from, from implementing her culture and what she likes to, into the weigh-ins to. The card, and I get why they did the Hawaiian shirt and the tiki bar thing. They wanted to let everybody know where the hell they were. That's what they wanted to do. I thought they just, they knocked it out of the park with William Lee McFarlane on Saturday night, James.
1: And, and what a good matchup to her fighting Letourneau, you know, a former UFC title challenger, someone who, you know, people are very familiar with. She fought Joanna. Um, I, I mean, this and, and, you know, catching her at a good time where Letourneau, you know, she's had some losses. She's had some bad weight cuts. Remember when she tried to make 115. So the fact that McFarland's getting her now, and, and this is the most notable opponent she's fought. If you think about it, maybe not the most skilled, but definitely the most notable. It was just a perfect scenario. And then there was that, that great shot of them at the end, you know, sort of embracing and, you know, just having such a, a great fight here. Um, the, like you said, it couldn't have gone better. And, you know, it's funny, heading into this card, I was kind of like, why would Bellator do two shows? But then I realized, like you were saying there, that the cost to run an event in Hawaii was a lot. So why not just maximize the weekend, get two cards in there? And I think it worked out well. Like what I ended up doing was I watched a bit of the, the Friday card live, the Saturday card I missed uh, just with the UFC and just having to do other stuff, uh, you know, on top of that. So I PVR'd it and ended up going through it. And, and it was great. And I actually missed a lot of the, the pacing issues that people were complaining about. Uh, God bless the PVR, but um, it, it worked out great. And, and again, uh, you know, this this really put puts, uh, you know, Bellator going forward, having McFarlane as a chip they can use, because again, this, the weekend was all about her. And I think they can use her for any card going forward and and it
0: will drop quite well. The pacing was much worse Friday night than Saturday night. I don't know what Bellator thought that people wanted with a main event starting past 1 a.m. Eastern. And I get there's a time difference in Hawaii, but if I'm UFC or Bellator, I'm running these shows at a pace as briskly as possible. To please your live viewers and your television viewers, you have talking heads on the payroll for a reason. You yeah. can, if there's a, a barn burner of a fight after all the other fights are over, have Chael Sonnen and Jay Glazer break it down and then blast on your social media. If you guys missed this awesome fight, we have it again and we have our experts talking about it in addition. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's so weird. Every Every sport tries to get over quicker. These guys want to want to extend it and, and they act like they can't fill the TV time slot. Yes, you can. It's ridiculous. Uh, speaking of things that are horribly paced, Lyoto Machida and Rafael Carvalho, <laughs> this was a Lyoto Machida fight. A lot of teeps moving backwards, a lot of body kicks moving backwards, a lot of footwork. That is just what it was. <laughs> this is, and that's a, that's good for Bellator because he is a big name. But I can't wait to not care about the next Lyoto Machida fight. This, there's not a lot to break down because it was what every Lyoto Machida fight that I've found boring was. And you're gonna have those people. Well, actually, I appreciate his style. Good for you, man. I don't. What do you think of this one?
1: I'm with you there. Probably one of the worst fights on the card. That's what you expect. The odd time with Machida, you do get these snoozer of a fights. But really, Sean, this is the best case scenario for Bellator. The fact that Machida won because now you have the potential matchup, the potential rematch between Gegard Mousasi and uh, Machida. And, uh, you know, th- that could happen in a number of ways. I mean, if Lovato Jr. beats Musasi, then you could still do that fight. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then, you know, obviously you, you get the fight for the title. So so it's really great. Um, we should mention Carvalho missed weight for this fight. I wonder if this was his last fight at 85. You know, he's had some issues making uh, middleweight. Uh, I think he'd be an interesting addition to the 205-pound weight class. Or Bellator maybe just splits with this guy. He doesn't speak English. He doesn't really speak or he doesn't really, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, go towards the the type of audience that they're looking for. Um, It seems like they're not a fan of a lot of these international fighters. So I don't know if, you know, this might be the last of him, but at the very least he should go up to 205 after this. But the right guy, I mean, in terms of what Bellator wanted, the right guy won. If Machida lost, no one wants to see a rematch between Gegard or, or even Lovato Jr. facing Carvalho. I think uh, people are intrigued by a potential rematch between Machida and Musasi because, you know, frankly, they're different fighters than when they fought the first time.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting how how much the pro wrestling and MMA worlds parallel one another in that a guy like Carvalho can come off of two losses. A pro wrestler can be booked really badly. And if he gets cut right now, he's got a lot of options. You've got one FC that's got a, a national TV deal. You've got Ryzen out there always looking to get talent. PFL wants talent Kambate wants anybody I don't know if he would be a fit there but also the two people he lost to Musashi Machida you might as well move on to 205 what do you yeah. got at 185 now you had a run you defended your title three times technically he had a great middleweight championship run and Bellator has been quick to part with some of their champions which surprises me i mean they they got rid of Brandon Halsey he gone but uh I agree with you. I think 205 is the best bet. I think if he does get cut, somebody else will pick him up. But I don't know that he's that much of a priority or a a selling point for Bellator to necessarily hold on to. I hope they do, though. Uh, Liam McGeary yeah. scored a big win over King Mo. This really wasn't that relevant in the grand scope of the light heavyweight division. Liam McGeary had lost three out of four, but they are a couple of big names that are, are irrelevant into one one another. And this was a brutal knockout, almost a confusing knockout. I don't know what King Mo was doing or if he knew what he was doing by the end of it. But it started off with King Mo chopping down the legs of McGeary. Then we saw McGeary, after years, finally using his range for striking. And and that was, a, that was a bit of a surprise to me, and it paid off. He ended up... Um, Putting King Mo down, this is the first time that King Mo has ever lost back-to-back fights. It's the first year in his career that he has not walked out of a cage with a win. Technically, uh, he didn't win in 2012, but he left the Lorenz Larkin fight having won that fight. What do you think this says about King Mo Lawal and where he is right now? He'll be 38 next month, which is wild to think, and Liam McGeary, a 36-year-old, Light heavyweight who had lost three of his last four has lost to Linton Vassell, who is a heavyweight now, Vadim Nemkov, who's uh, emerging, and Phil Davis, but has been out of that title picture for quite a while.
1: Yeah, I think this fight was designed to see who has more gas left in the tank at 205. And I think the answer is obviously the guy who won, which is uh, McGeary but I mean we're starting to get into that area now with Mo where it's kind of like uh, I don't know if he should still be fighting I mean he had the loss, knockout loss to Krokop to back in 2016 he's lost to Bader by knockout now he's lost to McGeary I mean are we getting into that Chuck Liddell territory where it's just going to be you never know it's like you know taking a gamble putting him in there if he's going to get knocked out it's tough to say I mean he is losing to really good fighters I mean you know losing to Krokop uh, losing to Phil Davis before that um, you know losing to Bader obviously the run he's been on but it's tough to say I mean at, like his, like at his age what's really left he's not going in middleweight, I talked to him about that. He said, you know, he wanted to, because he's not a huge uh, like heavyweight, you know, he tried to make the, the drop down, but you know, doctor said, nope, that's not happening. You're, you have too much body mass. So I don't know where he goes. Does he go to heavyweight? But to me, it's like, you're, you're still, you're even at more risk of getting knocked out here. So I don't know what they do, but I hope regardless of what happens most stays with Bellator in some sort of capacity, whether it's broadcasting or anything along those lines. Um, like I told you that story about him last week with Quentin Jackson, which was yeah. hilarious. I told you that off air, but um, I mean, I mean, it just goes to show that this guy has a personality they should utilize. I know Bellator has things kind of full in the broadcast booth, but I think most someone they should keep around. But in terms of him fighting, I think this is probably it, Sean, to be honest. I mean, I don't know
0: what he needs to accomplish at this point. I think he'll still get a, still stick around and probably get a few more big paydays. Cause every time he fights, it's a pretty solid payday. I don't know if he's a fit as a broadcaster. Sometimes He gets ahead of himself when he talks, and he's a little hard to understand. Uh, But I think that he is a valuable person to have. Neiman Gracie, the Gracies. I got to ask you this right off the top. This is a welterweight Grand Prix quarterfinal. Winner gets a title shot. Ed Ruth undefeated. When is the last Gracie fight that was as big or as important as this one? All things considered. Considering level of opponent, stakes, place on the card.
1: Oh geez, you'd have to go way back. I was gonna say most notable Gracie to fight uh, before was there was the Gracie who fought in the UFC. I can't remember his name. Uh, the, I think he was like a light heavyweight who who ended up losing. But 100. no, that you're. You- Yes, yeah, it might have, might have been that one, but uh, but I mean, in general, it's been uh, yeah. I mean, this is this was a huge fight, and good on Bellator. I mean, we haven't seen them do too many prospect versus prospect matchups, but this to me says who's ready for that next step. And we know it's Neiman Gracie at this point. Great yeah. win for him. Uh, another like I, you know, I, I talked about this earlier this week. Just you know, Bellator has done a good job of gathering prospects. I mean, for an organization that doesn't do the tournament format anymore, that doesn't you know. Get a lot of these, uh, you know, guys from you know LFA like the UFC does. They have had some good signings, and Gracie's one of them. And a guy that you know has that last name, you can sell that. This is a big, another big win for Bellator here. Seeing Gracie win as opposed to Ruth. Ruth's great, and he has the rest, the wrestling credentials, and he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll be back, uh, you know, anytime soon. I mean, we forget he's only got uh, you know seven career fights now. But Gracie, I mean, this this is a dark horse in that tournament, and I think there's a very good chance of him you know, pulling off some upsets here with his ground game and still relatively young. I- I'm excited for him, but this is a big win for him and for Bellator this weekend.
0: He's got to be begging for John Fitch to win that fight.
1: Oh, John Fitch yeah. against
0: uh, Rory McDonald later this year, or next year rather. Uh, Gracie will face the winner. I-, I don't know if I need these tournament fights to be five rounds. I don't know if that's necessary, but in Neiman Gracie's case – You better believe he's happy that it was because he's not taking Ed Ruth down. Ed Ruth took him down, but he made Ed Ruth take him down by putting his hands on Ed Ruth. I thought that was was fantastic. A really great performance out of Neiman Gracie and still lots of room for Ed Ruth to grow. Over on Bellator 212, uh, Taiwan Claxton gets uh, gets a win. AJ McKee gets a win. We expected this, James. They're going to win these fights. It's time to... uh, I say it's time to give AJ McKee a big opponent. They've tried, it's fallen through a couple times.
1: It, it has um you know do you give this guy a title shot at this point I mean who knows what they want to do because you do have that fight between McKee and, or sorry um, Aaron Pico and Corrales, which I think would be right up there too you know Manuel Sanchez lost I mean who's really I mean for as stacked as Walter White or as Featherweight has been uh, in that division I mean right now there's not a clear-cut contender but I think McKee might be the guy and people might say you're rushing him but really I mean wouldn't this be a fight to determine how good he really is I mean him fighting uh, the, his opponent this week I mean who I didn't even really know much about I mean it's just it's just another you know footnote on his on his resume but to me he's you know he, he's looked far more impressive against other opponents and uh you know I, I think he's potentially ready for a title shot now here's the question of what they do and I'm sure we'll talk about the main event there but I mean does Patricio move up to 55 to fight Michael Chandler there's been a lot of chatter on social media if that happens do you get AJ to fight for an interim title or something I don't know there's a lot of options though but Bellator having AJ McKee on the roster is a good thing this guy is another potential superstar for the promotion
0: Yeah, he is the complete antithesis of his father, too, in in the cage. like I mean, he's got those skills, but also very exciting. Javi Ayala defeated Frank Mir via submission to punches in round two. Mir, surprisingly, not 40 years old yet. He's going to keep fighting. He got a big deal from Bellator. Why not? But he's at the point where he has not won a fight since July 2015, where he faced Todd Duffy, who also hasn't fought since then, which is wild but remarkably consistent for Todd Duffy. Got beat by Fedor, got beat by Hunt, got beat by Arlovsky, got beat by somebody way down like, Before this fight, the people that beat Frank Mir were legends because that's who he got booked against. Fedor, Hunt, Arlovsky, Barnett, Overeem, Cormier, Dos Santos, Carwin, Lesnar. Like, <laughs> even even when he lost to Brandon Vera, Brandon Vera was a, an emerging name. This is the first loss to someone like Javi for, in, in a in a long, long time which shows you where the, the Frank Mir skill set is, but but what did you make of this fight?
1: Um, I think it's good for Bellator in, in the long run because, you know, Mir, you're only going to get a couple fights out of him. Um, so the have Ayala, who's a bit of a younger guy, who's just, you know, a total... I mean, I'm sure you've spoken to him before, but just a great interview, really yes. nice guy. Still works a full-time job at Walmart, by the way, and, you know, still trying to make it happen for his family. I mean, this is great for them because you can use that in a highlight pack. He just beat the former UFC champion, Frank Mir. I mean, this is, this is great for Bellator. Um, as far as Mir, though, I, I just... You know, oftentimes it's better to quit while you're ahead in MMA than, than stay around too long. And I think past passes expiration date in terms of, you know, uh, competitive fights. And I think it showed in this matchup, uh, Mir's you know, although he looked great on the scale, it didn't translate in the cage. And I think he's just taking too much damage at this point. He's another guy that should probably hang them up. But like you said, Bellator signed them. He'll be getting a couple more, uh, you know, notable uh, matchups in terms of veterans. But I, I think, you know, the best Frank mirror is th- those days are behind him at this point. And for Ayala, you know, build off this, he's now got to win over two notable heavyweights in Karatanov and Mir. So, you know, run with this. Let's, let's see where he can go with this and uh, hopefully he can uh, build himself back up again.
0: Chris, Avila won on this card. Can't believe they found somebody to lose to him. But Michael Chandler defeated Brent Premis to regain the lightweight championship. We kind of knew this was going to happen, but Premis wasn't without his moments. He had a rear naked choke locked in pretty tight. But other than that, it was all Chandler. Chandler dominated. This was the way that the fight almost needed to go. Brent Premis never fights. And it showed like he, whether it be Rust or him being outmatched, the car, it was just stacked. It was a stacked deck. Yeah, and I wasn't buying the, the June 2017 thing where he said, oh, no, I trained to injure people's ankles like that. No, no, th- this was bound to happen. It needed to happen. Chandler will probably fight in the probably the first quarter of 2019. He'll get right back in there because that's what he likes to do. Uh, what do you think of this? Michael Chandler regaining uh, the lightweight championship that he lost in 2017. Uh, gosh, I, I can't even count how many title fights he's had now
1: yeah he's uh he's been one of the ogs for bellator i mean he was a tournament guy and now here he is back uh, reclaiming the title um you know this was best the the best thing for business because now this sets up you know interesting matchups like i said with uh, patricio pitbull or, I mean, whoever else is, is ready to go in terms of uh, lightweight uh, contenders at this point, but uh, Chandler's the guy you want. I mean, no offense to Primus. I, I think Primus is a great guy, but he's just not the name that Chandler is, and they needed Chandler to win this to, to sort of move their division forward. Just a lot of bad luck for Brent Primus. I mean, obviously, he, uh, you know, became a dad, and then he had the injury, and so there's all these things that have sort of delayed this, so hopefully he'll get back to the drawing board. He's just had a lot of bad luck, um, but I, I think he won some fans over. There's a lot of people writing him off in this fight, and he didn't look like a guy who was such a big underdog in this fight. Uh, he had his moments, like you said, so back to the drawing board for premise and for chandler lots of big money fights i mean we have to remember that he decided to stay with bellator he had the opportunity to go to the ufc but obviously getting paid a little bit better so now let's see what bellator bellator can do in terms of their matchmaking get some big fights i think the pitbull fight's kind of interesting just because there is a lot of talk and there's this kind of narr- narrative out there it's like who is the face of bellator uh since since it's been around and those are the two guys that have still been under there uh, that were still there from the bjorn revenue era so i mean I, I think that fight makes sense next
0: uh, for, for both parties do you think Chandler ever catches Ric Flair and John Cena's 16 world title reigns? Because he, he's getting there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's possible. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I mean, Chandler's just destroyed everyone he's fought, other than like he's had obviously the weird fight with Will Brooks. And then I'd bring, I'd bring Will Brooks back if, if you could. Why yeah. not bring Will Brooks back? I, I I think that would make sense. I, I don't know what his uh, contract status is with PFL, but uh, yeah, if if I'm uh, if I'm Bellator, I'm looking to set that up because really, I mean, no one stands out, uh, Sean, to be honest. Like in terms of uh, lightweight fighters, like he beat Pipple, Pitbull. Uh, you know, he's, Benson Henderson had he already beat. Uh, I mean, to me, it's like you're, you're kind of running out of options. The option you do have is this sort of super fight with with, uh, with Pitbull, but uh, who knows? Um, they they got to keep him active though, because you you want you know Chandler's a guy that is sort of the face of the promotion. You got to get him out there as, as much as possible.
0: It seemed like for a long time, Bellator, after all these signings, they were trying to adjust and get him, get the roster where they wanted it and, and make changes and tinker around. But it seems like they, they've got that now. Uh, like you said, he beat Ben Henderson via split decision. He's beaten Brent Premis now. I think he's beaten Patricky twice. So Patricio, I think, is the mood. Maybe, maybe Yamuchi, maybe. He just fought, fought him. him. He did, yeah, they did. He did fight. Him. Yeah. My God beat him earlier this year.
1: Yeah, and that, that was at 170. That I was gonna say, and I think uh Yamiuchi. Oh no, sorry, yeah, you know it's weird? I think Yamiuchi was that was that fight? I feel like that fight was at 170 for some reason. No, no, it was at 155. No, it was him moving up. That's that's yeah, what
0: I but I mean Syed Awad and Daniel Weichel have both lost. Adam Piccolodi isn't getting a title fight. They they gotta I think they almost gotta bring somebody in. Yeah, yeah they, they,
1: they're gonna sign someone or uh or or bring
0: Zach Freeman and see if lightning strikes twice. God, God. We had <laughs> UFC Milwaukee. Did anything stand out to you on the prelims of this show? Uh, I know Juan Adams, who you've spoken to a couple times, got a win over Chris De La Rocha, overcame some adversity. You had uh, Jared Gordon and Joe Kim Silva with a really, really great fight. Bobby Green gets beaten and says that, I think he's pretty much said that he's done, which is shocking to me. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought he'd be one of those guys that fought forever. Uh, what stood out to you on this?
1: Uh, a couple things. I mean, a couple questionable decisions. The Zach Otto fight. I mean, I thought Dwight Grant did enough to win that one, but might have been some hometown cooking there. The close fight, uh, which uh, you know, I know you saw my tweet on there. It was uh, definitely a close fight with the, with the K. Um, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't think Green just talked to Alex Lee over at MMA Fighting yesterday. And It, it seems like that call of retirement might be a little premature. But no. I don't blame him in, in, in with him being frustrated because he's had some fights that could have gone his that should have gone his way. This one, uh, not not as bad as the Dwight Grant fight, in my opinion. I, I don't have an issue with close winning that one. Um, yeah, uh, Gerald Mershaw getting completely outclassed by Jack Hermanson. Uh, Hermanson looks great. Uh, got a nice uh, pop from the crowd there. We can skip over Zach Cummins and Trevor Smith, not really notable. Dan Ige overcoming some adversity uh, in that second round and getting the win over Jordan Griffin says he didn't want to fight that morning, which I found interesting. Um, I'd like to know sort of more about that. Mike Rodriguez looked great. I think that's the last time we see Adam Milstead in the cage. looks like retirement is on his mind. He pretty much you know, left the gloves in the cage, so I think that is the case. And one Adam nice. before. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think, and, and, and Milstead, I mean, you know, what, what does he have to prove at this point? I think it's it just hasn't gone his way in the octagon he's had. He, and I think him having a full-time job, I've said this before, has really impacted his fight career because you can't work 12-hour days and expect to train, and you know, when some of these guys are doing this full-time. And uh, just, you know, quickly on Juan Adams, overcame some adversity. This guy's really green. I mean, I, I said this when he won on Contender Series. I, I said a developmental deal would probably be better for him just because, yeah. you know, he, he needs some more seasoning. He can get away with it against guys like Cristela Roca, but you know if he fought some other guys in that division, I don't know if he'll get away with it. I mean, the, the verdict's still out on this guy. He's still young. He's got a great build for the division, but they've got to be careful with the matchmaking here because uh, I think there are a lot of holes in his game. We saw that in this fight. Hopefully, he can come back better and uh, you know uh, really improve on the skill set.
0: On the main card, Rob Font defeated uh, Sergio Pettis. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. But uh, Rob Font's size advantage really... It, it it was pretty indicative. You got the number two, number three flyweight against the number 10 bantamweight, and it wasn't even an issue. Go ahead. Bold performance by Rob flint Charles <laughs> Oliveira like defeated a- <laughs> Jim Miller. This happened exactly how we said it was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, we said somebody's getting choked, probably in the first round. It was Charles Oliveira. The move to light was, Oh, still got you there. It's paid off for his wallet.
1: Oh, I, I I think we might have cut out here, but you were asking me about the Oliveira fight. Um, if, if I'm if I'm still online here, we'll we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, but, we're
0: good, we're good.
1: Oh, we're good. Okay, sorry about that. I don't know what, what happened there, but uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I take away from this fight is just that uh, you know, obviously Jim Miller, it's the miles are really adding up on here. I mean, losing losing like this definitely hurts. Uh, his last one was against Alex White, uh, you know, who I don't think is on the UFC roster anymore. And Oliveira, I mean, it's great that he's doing this, but, um, you know, he keeps beating this drum of going back down to featherweight, which I think is a bad idea. I mean, he's, yeah. he's had so many opportunities. Um, I just, I don't have an interest in him trying to beat the scale at, at 45. I'd rather see him build something up at, at uh, you know, 155. Good win for him, but we need to see more of him, in my opinion, to, to see, you know, whether he's progressed enough because it's great that he beats Jim Miller, but how does he do against a Justin Gaethje or someone else a little bit better? I mean, we, we've been sort of waiting for this breakout performance or breakout sort of fight for Oliveira, and that really hasn't happened yet. He's had some setbacks. So I think we need to see a few more fights out of him to determine if he
0: is really the future of 55. Well, from, from an in cage perspective. And as I was saying, when we cut out, it's, it's paying off for him to move to lightweight for performance yeah. of the nights. He's probably made. If I were to guess and estimate based on previous salaries and bonuses, probably over $350,000 this year alone, uh, just okay. Since June, $350,000, you got three performance of the night bonuses, I know he was making at least 50k the last like the last time he was in Vegas and that was four years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, he's making a lot of money here. Extends his submission record. Uh, Edson Barboza, Dan Hooker. Everybody's talking about how tough Dan Hooker is. I want to talk about how Edson Barboza is just fun to watch, man, and the perfect EA UFC three fighter. You just chop him down. Uh, pro wrestling people who who check out the MMA show. You ever hear me referencing the old pant shitter kick? Just go back and watch this fight. You're going to see plenty of them. Edson Barboza just straight spammed Dan Hooker at times with, with this and then really opened him up to the body. This was an outstanding performance from Barboza. How could you dislike this guy, especially after that post-fight speech?
1: It's just so surprising in my opinion because when have we seen someone lose fights two fights in a row
0: I do believe that we have uh lost James Lynch. Uh okay. but we, we- now James is back.
1: I don't know what's going on over here, but uh, but anyways, I was just going to say that uh, you know it's very rare to see a fighter lose two straight fights the way he did, and then come back and have a performance like he did against Dan Hooker. I think the move to ATT certainly paying off. He mentioned during uh, the fight that or after the fight that he's been back with his old Muay Thai coach. Whatever it is, it's working. And the old Edson Barbosa is back. Um, you know, I think this was still good matchmaking because you know Hooker was coming off a big win himself over Gilbert Burns, but uh, you know Barbosa's is relevant again in the division. Lots of fun options here for him, but uh, this is a huge win for him and what a statement to make on the last uh, fox card for the ufc
0: kevin lee defeated by al iacquinta man kevin lee has developed into one of the most frustrating fighters to watch he seemed like he coasted to the point to where he handed the fight to iacquinta and that's not me taking away from iacquinta's abilities it's just kevin lee i feel like he's regressed since his tony ferguson fight There were so many issues, and when he couldn't believe the decision that was read, I think that told the tale of this fight as well, James
1: yeah um just a really confusing game plan by kevin lee i think he expected to finish al and and you know uh, there there there's that key moment in the fight where he had him in the body triangle and cormier is like you know you got to watch out because you don't want to exert all your energy and i remember after he got up you could just see that you know some wind was taken out of his sails and i I think that the fact he didn't get the finish i mean usually we see kevin lee either finish a fight you rarely see him win a decision i mean it it has happened in his career but usually he's going for broke and i think that was the wrong game plan against al especially with it being a five round fight um I, i think that he he just didn't he didn't he didn't prepare himself uh for for five Rounds properly. Um, you know, it looked like the cut went well. He looked really relaxed out there. I just think the game plan wasn't, wasn't right, and out you know, capitalized on it. And I think. I, I think Kevin Lee is still a top fighter. I just think he had a bad game plan in this fight. And, and you know, credit to Al Al-Aquinta. Don't take anything away from him. People saying, oh, you know, Khabib went the distance with him because Khabib, you know, was trying to play it safe. Maybe Al's just that good. I think we saw that on Saturday. And I think that he is still a top guy. And I think there's a lot of interesting options for him at lightweight. But, um, you know, the real story here, I think, is just, uh, you know, the, Kevin Lee's stock just going down big time. And he's got to be careful about who he fights next because another loss here is really going to, you know, halt any ambitions he has of fighting for a title.
0: I think so, too. He's talked about moving up to 170. That 165 division would be prime for him. But I, I was singing this guy's praises as a future breakout star, as a potential lightweight champion. And I think the talent is there. And he's been avoiding social media for a while. And I thought maybe maybe that was a sense of focus. Apparently not. I, I can't tell you how frustrated I was to see this performance out of Kevin Lee as good of a fighter as he is and can be. The game plan was confusing. Circling into to Iaquinta repeatedly, walking into jabs, almost a refusal to take Iaquinta down. And he said as much. He said, "I'm I'm really stubborn. That's got to go away. You can't rely on talent at this level. Not in this division. Not at 150 either, or or 170 either. Because what's gonna is he gonna go up to 170 and not have a game plan against Kamara Usman? Well, good luck with that. Colby Covington, good luck with that." There are a lot of people who are bigger than him that have very similar skill sets as him that maybe just don't have the natural athletic ability. But my God, is he going to go to 170 and not wrestle Darren Teal? Uh, I don't think that's going to work out the way that you think it is, man. Uh, and I like Kevin Lee a lot. I love when you interview him on the site. He is always a fantastic interview. This was not the performance that uh, I was expecting out of him. We're going to take a look at the UFC athlete rankings after uh, UFC Milwaukee. I'm going to full screen this right here. We will isolate the video on Fightful's uh, MMA and boxing YouTube. No changes to the pound for pound rankings. I don't even know why we should talk about these flyweight rankings, but the only adjustment (laughs) is everybody moves up because Sergio Pettis moves out. Nothing to really approach there. No changes to bantamweight. No changes to featherweight. Lightweight saw a change though. Ally Aquinta James jumps four spots to number four. This pushes down Kevin Lee one, Barbosa down one, even with a victory, Gaethje uh, down one, Pettis down one. I think this makes sense. Barbosa got beat by Kevin Lee. Ally Aquinta beat Kevin Lee. This is a, a rare instance of me saying, "Wow, the rankings panel got it right." But I want to know what you think. Well, why is Chiesa on there?
1: He's at 170 now. They should take him off. I know. I guess it. I guess it depends on when you actually compete yes. at that weight class. But uh, I, I would have still removed him at this point because he has a scheduled fight at 170. It's not like he's like you. I, you know, I interviewed him last week. He's not going down to 55 anymore. Yeah. He's too big of a guy. So we also, get rid why, of him. why is
0: Diaz there? If exactly. Was, yeah, in, inactivity. Uh, yeah. And we'll we'll talk about the Pena thing. Pena got pulled from the rankings as she's preparing to return from a pregnancy after two years of inactivity. Nate Diaz has been inactive for two years, isn't planning a return, and is still there. That is weird. Uh, Fightful alumni Elias Theodoro moves up a spot over Uriah Hall. I'm fine with this. I mean, why not? I can't. When's the last time
1: Uriah Hall won? Well, he's fighting Bavon Lewis at the end of the uh, at the end of the year. So I, I agree. Wait. Um he's he 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 needs a win there for sure. Why is Tiago Santos on the rankings? Again, another like what is with Weird. these and, and he's he's had a couple fights at two hundred and five pounds. Put him on the two oh five rankings. He just beat Jimmy Manua. Like I I don't see and that's he's had what two fights now at LA Heavyweight because he beat Anders at 205 and then he beat uh, Manua. So he should be off there. That's 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 dumb as well. Th- these rankings, man. I mean, don't even get me started.
0: I tried to apply for the panel years ago, got rejected, and I'm really glad that I did. Uh, it's it's real weird. They really need to expand it. They need to incentivize. Uh, I, I don't know if you could pay people to rank these guys. I don't know if you could implement contemporary. I mean, my God, when we find out how much Chuck Liddell was making to be in the U.S., he better be watching every UFC fight. He yeah. better be keeping up with that. That way he can be a part of this panel. No changes to the light heavyweight division, heavyweight division, Women's strawweight division, uh, but we see big changes at women's flyweight. Nico Montano, gone, out of the rankings due to inactivity. Sajara Eubanks moves up one. Caitlin Chikagan in a loss, moves up one as a result. Ioana Janjacek moves up three as she was uh, originally ranked at number six seven. Joanne Calderwood up two. Everybody else seems to move up one until Montana De La Rosa debuts. But really, the, the talk is and Janjacek. As she keeps moving up, and the confusion around what she's doing at strawweight, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a tough one because I mean it seems like she is going back down to strawweight uh, for her next fight. So do you keep her there at um, flyweight? It's it's really tough to say at this point. Um, I, I guess I I kind of don't blame them in, in this instance for having her in, in both rankings, but having her as four. I mean, I, I guess I don't even know how you determine that because she lost at flyweight. She doesn't have any wins at flyweight, like in the UFC. So, like, why is she four? Because she lost to the title fight. Like, go fight for the title, and then you'll you're guaranteed to be ranked top five. Like, you know, it just seems weird. So, I don't know. I, I personally, I would take Joanna off flyweight, keep her on strawweight, and. Yeah, I don't know. And I think, you know, open up another spot at flyweight because really, I don't know. It, it doesn't, just based off what she's saying and what the UFC saying, it doesn't seem like she's going to stay at flyweight uh, for her next fight.
0: Yeah, so and we'll Cesara Eubanks has already announced that she's moving up. So that'll be gone. So you look for Joanna to move up even more soon. Uh, women's bantamweight, you had Pena moved out of there. So that pushes everybody up a spot. The big winners were Tanya Evinger, Lena Landsberg. They move up to Talita Bernardo. At number fifteen, anything here that stands out to you? Not much. Just that how weak that division has become. I mean, it was sort of when Ronda Rousey was, you know, reigning
1: supreme. uh, It was a pretty stacked class. You had Misha Tate. You had, you know, so many other people. But now, um, you know, you look at some of the bottom of the rankings. There, it's it's not very clear uh, in terms of you know uh, where where people are placed. So uh, that's a division that's got that's get built back up again. And it doesn't help that you have the bantamweight champion fighting for the featherweight title. And if somehow Nunes wins. I mean, that's really going to complicate things. So we'll we'll see what they decide to do there.
0: Nick Diaz says he's not fighting next year, despite what the UFC said. Um, We were talking off the air about this. This is not a surprise.
1: No. Um, I I mean, I I think it's just the fact that he's fighting Masvidal or was slated to fight Masvidal, I think tells you everything in that, you know, Diaz is only going to come back for a big money fight and they offered him Tyron Woodley for the title and he didn't want that fight. So it's like. What is going to bring this guy back? I think he's personally done. I'm really sick of talking about Nick Diaz anymore. I used to be the biggest Nick Diaz. I've said this before. I used to be a huge Nick Diaz fan back in the day. And, you know, ever since he fought Anderson and he had that performance, which I know people loved. I did not like that fight. It was very kind of frustrating to watch. But Diaz just hasn't improved. And these guys expect all these big money fights. And, you know, with that comes their fans. And to me, that's the most annoying part. It's like these people saying, like, yeah, he should fight. He should fight Habib. He should fight Woodley. It's like they haven't won in years, You know, especially like Nick. It's like, come on. So anytime I hear Nick Diaz's name until he steps in the cage, that is when I know he will be fighting. But I think at this point, you can't trust anything. Even if Dana White says the fight is good to go, it's not. You know, the Diaz brothers. The fact that, I mean, if you want to know enough about Nick Diaz, just know this. Ariel Hawani, number one journalist in the sport, number one broadcaster, had to do an interview via text with Nick Diaz because he would not want to go, come on the show or you know, do a video chat or anything like that. That just goes to show you who you're dealing with here in Nick Diaz. UFC
0: 233 canceled. I mean, there will be a UFC 233, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know how they'll, they'll pivot and, and change all that. But it was supposed to go head-to-head with Bellator, which is a banger of a Bellator card that night. You will be there, James. Uh, for Fightful yeah can't wait for Fightful uh shout outs to Bellator even though they're not sending us the highlight videos anymore I don't know what's (laughs) going on that has been a PR mess I've had people asking me hey why haven't you posted the Bellator highlights lately Bellator hasn't sent them to us I checked with one PR and they said you're still on our blast list I checked with the other PR and they said you're still on there but I didn't get them either so that's weird but other outlets are getting them Bellator come on Wants those highlights and and maybe this time don't flag us as pirating them next time and then uh, get us a copyright strike. What's going on Viacom anyway, hell of a card that night for Bellator Uh, and UFC quite honestly, couldn't compete when they lost their main event, not on pay-per-view. Also, at least from a fightful perspective, you're dealing with NXT takeover Phoenix, which is going to be a big show. And I was looking at that, and I was dreading it. I was dreading that night. This, for me personally, I like it. For the UFC, I like the idea, too. What I don't like is moving Askren and Oller back a month and a half. Uh, what yeah. were your thoughts on the, the cancellation of this show?
1: I think it's expected at this point. Uh, I, I mean, really, this is better for the fans. I, there's nothing more annoying than having to flip back and forth between uh, back and forth between a UFC card and Bellator card. Um, you know, Bellator is as much as you know people say they'll never be the UFC. There are instances like this where they have you know played their cards right, and I think that if you if you look at the fact that you know Bellator was able to get the form, and I think um, UFC was going to go to Anaheim, which isn't as big of a market. Mm-hmm. So I mean, th- that alone, Bellator was already sort of a leg ahead there, and it's just a stack card. I mean, that's why when when I decided to apply for this event. I told you guys I want to go for Bellator because I mean, frankly, if you looked at the names even before this was canceled, yeah. Bellator had bigger names, and and they just there are times when they have sort of had one up on the UFC. So this is just one of those instances. Again, I, I you know we every week we talk about this. I'll say it again: UFC does too many events. I mean, had they just. You know, and now you have the ESPN deal, so that's going to complicate things even further. They need to have good shows for those, uh, you know, like like the new part, the new TV partner. So it was just bound to have a situation where they couldn't compete, and this is the situation there. And as far as Askren Lawler moving, I agree. I still think this is the wrong fight to make, Sean. Uh, you know, again, you're having Askren's debut against someone who's going to do no trash talking leading into the fight. That to me is a wasted opportunity. It's a great fight on paper. It's going to tell us a lot about Ben Askren as far as can he, you know, handle the striking of Robbie Lawler. But build up wise. There's, there's going to be no buildup. It's going to be Askren talking and Lawler just nodding like a serial killer. So that's that.
0: Yeah. And even though UFC canceled one of their shows in the first quarter, they still have more first quarter shows than they've ever done before. But uh, for I, for one, I'm glad. I'm glad I get that January 26th date a, l- a little bit lighter. And we get a little bit of a break until Dillashaw and Cejudo. I like that. We saw the end of the UFC on Fox Era. Now, I don't know what being in Canada, what that means for you and all that. Hey, the the Fox Era gave me the ability to talk about rankings and bitch about those every week. So uh, thumbs up to that. But it's Daniel Cormier got very emotional talking about it, as understandably so. That helped launch his broadcast career and was a big part of that and is probably what will carry him through the next couple of decades of his life after fighting. But otherwise, the the UFC on Fox deal, man, I just think that it did not live up to expectations and it happened right from the jump. And there was maybe one exception, the Holm-Shevchenko fight, which did curiously huge numbers for Fightful, for Fox, for everybody involved. Other than that, man, it's just been a steep decline ever since the beginning.
1: Yeah, things definitely changed over the, the whatever it was seven years that they had the, the deal signed. And, uh, you know, you saw that just with the quality of the first cards, you know, that were coming out for Fox and then sort of the quality deteriorating. And a lot of factors came in. I mean, how people are consuming content has changed. I mean, network television isn't what it used to be. People are, you know, downloading apps and streaming stuff instead. So I'm sure that played a role. Um, to answer one of your other questions in Canada, as far as I know, because I asked Dana about this at the press conference at 231, uh, TSN's just, t- you know, they re-signed their deal. So, I mean, I don't even think we have to get like, the, like, we can't even get ESPN in Canada, because TSN is basically the replacement. So I think everything according to him is going to be on TSN. Now we'll see how that actually pans out. I remember when the Fox deal came in, one of the things that frustrated me was that I bought Fight Pass thinking I don't need to buy cable because they're going to stream everything on there. It's blacked out. I can't even watch the fights. So I mean, that's one thing that we'll see if that ends up happening. Like I have a cable subscription and I do have TSN on my cable list. We'll see if I get access to that in terms of the streaming and all that. We'll, We'll see how that goes. But we'll see. Um, and then only thing I'll just mention about the Fox thing as well is just that, you know, I think it did help bring the UFC into the mainstream a little bit more. Um, they had, you know, some pretty notable cards on on the Fox cards. But yeah, I think, I think people expected it to be like this huge mainstream thing. It didn't quite reach that pinnacle, but
0: I think it got some people's attention, uh, you know, here and there. Fight Pass is now relegated to a point of just pointlessness, to where I told our live coverage guy, we're not expensing that anymore. You can get ESPN Plus. We we'll, we'll do that. But UFC, I, I don't know if, it, and also I don't know if anything's going to be in UFC Fight Pass because the UFC's new website is such a a mess that you can't tell, you you can't figure it out. A personal favorite moment of UFC Fox history is when Dana White went off on Matt Riddle, called him weak minded, and said, "Where else is he going to make six figures a year?" Glad to see that one worked out for everybody involved. We have uh, a couple of big shows at the end of the year. Now, I like I said, I'm going to Frankenstein an edition of the Fightful MMA podcast next week. You'll see some of James's interviews. Hopefully, we talk to Showdown Joe. But uh, Fightful MMA podcast will preview the three or two or three big events that are happening at the end of the year. We have Ryzen, we have UFC 232, and UFC 232, I really took a look at this card. The other day, and man, it is a slapper. On the prelims, you have Curtis Melender and Sierra Bahadurzada. You talked to Melender recently. Uh, what how, what's his mindset like going into this this card?
1: I think he realizes the opportunity here. You know, being able to fight on the same card as John Jones and you know kick things off. And he's had a great year. I mean, he's he's really been one of the guys that's been extremely notable uh, in the UFC. So big way to finish the year here, getting a win over a, a really a crafty veteran in CR. Um, so I, I think he's just. To me, he just realizes that the UFC's on his side here. I mean, he's he's you know, had some all of his fights have been entertaining. So I think for him, it's just it's a matter of just getting to that next level. Like if he gets a win here, we got to start talking about some more notable opponents for him at 170 because he's been a really nice surprise. And I say surprise because if you remember him in Bellator and you remember him having some rough luck, uh, you know, early in his career, he's really turned things around. And it's been a really nice story to see him go. And for the Fightful audience, you can always talk some wrestling with Curtis, too. So check that interview out if you haven't. But uh, he uh, talks a lot about Becky Lynch and how he's uh, he wasn't a fan initially, but nice coming around. So uh, lots of good talk there in that interview
0: i like to hear that. He can visit FightfulWrestling.com if he wants. Yeah, Brian Kelleher, Montel Jackson rescheduled for this show, Andre Ewell and Nathaniel Wood. Then we got a name in Uriah Hall against Bevon Lewis, and I think Fight Pass is the right place for Uriah Hall. Lost four out of five. You never know what kind of fight you're going to get out of him or what kind of fighter you're going to get out of him. Truly one of the most frustrating fighters of all time in that regard. And if he has a great fight, you can slide it in there if there's some time on the pay-per-view or the prelims. I think it's a good placement for a guy like uh, Uriah Hall, James.
1: This is a perfect matchup in terms of what the UFC is doing here. You've got Bavon Lewis, who you know has a lot of hype. He, he won on contender series. They felt he wasn't ready. Got him back for another contender series fight. Won that. Now he's in the UFC. And he's from Jackson Wink. He's undefeated. He's a guy that a lot of people, there, there's some hype behind him. He's fighting the perfect opponent, in my opinion, because Uriah Hall has been so inconsistent. From you know Dana White calling him the next Anderson Silva to him, you know having these these fights that he just he, he hasn't just lived up to it. But then he's got wins over Gegard Mousasi, and he has wins over you know some notable guys, and he has these you know flashes of brilliance. But uh, we'll see. I mean, th- this fight really is the definition of who is the real deal here. And I think with Bavon, he has the opportunity to you know be a legitimate prospect in this division and fighting a guy like Hall who has been so inconsistent. It's going to say a lot now with Hall, if he gets the win here. He takes out an upcoming prospect. Obviously he's still relevant in the division. So good test for both guys. I really love this matchup. Could be fight of the night. Honestly, I Honestly, I think there's, there, there's a possibility that, that both these guys could be, uh, you know, really looking to go for broke here as they
0: look to prove themselves. The Fox sports one prelims, the true farewell to, to the Fox deal has pretty damn good card with name value and talent. Uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade and Peter Yan is a really underrated fight from a quality perspective. Uh, You have Kat Zingano and Megan Anderson at women's featherweight, an honest-to-God featherweight fight, even though Kat Zingano is really a Bantamweight. Uh, Megan Anderson, we've seen her struggle with the likes of Holly Holm and Cindy Dandois, and really, honestly, anybody who would be a top 10 fringe Bantamweight. Do, can she get over that hump against Kat Zingano? Because, I mean, I, I love me some Megan Anderson, but man, it, the proof is in the pudding.
1: This is a huge test for Megan. I mean, there has been a lot of hype against her. There was people who legitimately felt like she could beat Cyborg. And, of course, when she fought Holy Home, we discovered that she can't stop a takedown. She has a weak ground game, uh, like you like you referenced there. Um, there's going to be a lot of questions answered in this fight because, realistically— I mean, Megan is a true featherweight. She's she's huge. Um, I don't know if you saw the, her do the Invicta commentary yes. or do the uh, post-fight stuff. I mean, she towered over the rest of the women. And I know there's some women that like, you know, there's Alicia uh, Zapleta, for example. She's 4'11". I mean, obviously, there's a clear case there. But in general, she towers over these fighters. She is a true definition of a featherweight. So if she can't beat, I mean, on paper, Kat is a better fighter. If you look at her accomplishments, you look at her ground game, you look at everything. She is a better fighter. But if Megan can't utilize her size here and, and get a win, I think it's really going to kill any momentum that she had. If she loses here, I mean, I don't know what the UFC does with her at this point, because realistically, this is a fight that she should have an advantage just with the size alone. Um, and and the fact that Kat, you know, has had some rough luck. I mean, we, we have to remember that prior to her beating Marion Renault, she was on a bit of a losing streak. And so she really needs to prove herself as well. So, it's a huge test for Megan Anderson. She's got to pass. And if she doesn't, I don't know what the UFC does. And I don't know what this means for the future of the featherweight division either, because if Anderson loses, I mean, what do you got her and Macy chase on? Like, what are you going to do? It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Megan Anderson is always the first name I point to when people say, who are some under the radar names that could cross over into pro wrestling? I immediately say Megan Anderson. She is, she has a great look. She's bigger than everybody. And she's into broadcasting and podcasting and all that stuff. she, Knows how to talk. She can sell something. Uh, I think that her upside is very good, but you got to prove it in the cage. And I, I man, I think that Kat Zingano gets this done, but I think it's better for all involved except for Kat Zingano if Megan wins this fight. You have Ryan Hall and BJ Penn. Ryan Hall, who you never knew if he was ever really going to fight again in the UFC because they, I don't know if they even like him. A guy who has taken a six year break, a one year break, and now a two year break. Uh, and is still only 33 years old in Ryan Hall, a just a supreme grappler taking on Penn. You know they want Penn to win. You know oh, yeah. they want Penn to win. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, uh, you know,
1: it's it, like I I, I spoke with Hall and basically, you know, he just he had matchups offered to him, but some of them fell through due to injury. Some of them he just wasn't interested in, you know, in the UFC, when you start picking and choosing fights, you're going to get people against you. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is this is a good fight for BJ because, of course, we're going to see you as the better ground game. I mean, clearly BJ has, you know, years of experience over Hall, but He's getting up there in age, and it's it's not like you have to worry about the threat of Hall knocking out BJ Penn. This is probably gonna be on the ground. It's gonna be a jujitsu match. And I'm frankly intrigued because, you know, how much does BJ have left in terms of his fight career? I you know, I saw him uh, in July when he was on the he was there for Jose Aldo and for the Calgary card. I mean, it didn't seem like he had any intentions of coming back, but now here he is. He's fighting Hall. He's got way more experience. I'm intrigued by this matchup. Just from a, a fan standpoint, I think it's
0: very interesting. BJ Penn's last win. 2010. Wow. Yep. 2010. How about this? The last time BJ Penn went the distance in a victory? When do you think? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Let me see. Was it... Uh, oh, gosh. Because he finished guys at lightweight, too. Oh, yeah. So The last time he went to the scorecards and won was Henzo Gracie. Oh, yeah. I even forgot about in that. whole and if if BJ Penn wins here, I think that helps the idea of UFC going to Hawaii. I mean, that's another name. I mean, they'll put him on there no matter what. If he wants on that card, he'll be on there. But whew. Andre Orlovsky, Walt Harris. It's a heavyweight fight. How am I supposed to decide what's gonna happen between Walt Harris's natural athletic ability and his, I mean, sometimes he just puts people put spits out with one second left. But he's never had, I mean, God, it's weird to say that Arlovsky is a top-level win. I don't know that he's ever beat anybody of Arlovsky's level, though. And that being said, Arlovsky is on his latest losing skid. As we've learned, that doesn't mean a damn thing to Andre Arlovsky. He'll go on four-fight losing streaks and five-fight losing streaks. I mean, he lost five fights in a row, and the UFC kept him. He is 2-7 and in his last nine, and the UFC has kept him when he couldn't buy his way back into the UFC for a while, what are you expecting out of this fight?
1: another big question mark fight uh what's interesting here is uh harris used to train an american top team arlovsky's at american top team right now so i wonder if you know there's some you know maybe you can get some trade secrets or something like that uh harris has actually moved his camp uh he's training with eric anders now like full time so he's, he's at spartan mma and fitness over there i imagine not training with eric right now with, with his uh, last fight i'm sure he, uh, eric had some surgery so i don't think he's getting to work with him so we'll see if that pays off harris is one of those guys a lot of promise but just hasn't come through a lot of times and this is a prime opportunity to take out a former UFC champion who's on a bit of a losing streak here. I think it's uh it, it's an opportunity here for Harris to shine, but again Orlovsky's had his moments. I mean, people forget that fight he had against uh, Tuavasa. Um it was close. It wasn't like a clear-cut like complete victory there, but uh, he you know, but then again, I felt his last fight was one that he should have won. So, it's really about who has the more upside at this point in their careers. I have no idea. Um I mean, this this could go either way. If Orlovsky wins, wouldn't surprise me has the experience, but if Harris wins,
0: Younger guy, a little bit more athletic. Uh, we'll see. It's, it's a very toss up fight, in my opinion. UFC 232 main card is awesome. Chad Mendez, in what is a real, real test after missing two and a half years, he came back and knocked out Miles Jury in quick fashion. But now he's facing the 18 and one, Alexander Volkanovsky, 5 and 0 in the USC. I think the winner of this gets launched into the discussion for a, a title contender uh mendez has already been there and competed for a title volkanovsky with a win over mendez i think is a huge leap as far as name value for him oh man it's hard for me based on what i I know of chad mendez's skill set to go against him but man i volkanovsky has been just a a wrecking machine and assuming everything goes smoothly uh with him and his weight cut i mean i know that he used to compete at welterweight and lightweight and all that and has made featherweight pretty consistently I think I got to give the nod to Volkanovski how do you see this one going
1: it's interesting you say that because he's the underdog right now he's plus 130 on the on the scorecards or on the uh, betting odds right now I just checked um, I am with you. I think there's some more upside here with, with an up, up and comer. He's got the momentum. He's on a huge winning streak with Mendez. Yeah. That was a great win over miles jury and jury's a tough guy, but Volkanovsky's just looked incredible. I mean, what he did to Jeremy Kennedy, who I, you know, I, I don't think Jer- I think Jeremy should, you know, realistically still be in the UFC. Didn't really impress that much, but to dominate him the way he did. And then to follow that up with some of the other performances, I think this guy's legit and we're going to find out a lot about him. I, I, I honestly believe if there's a finish in this fight, whether it's Mendez or Volkanovski, and it's early in the fight, I think they could leapfrog the winner of Aldo and Moicano as far as the next title challenger. Now, of course, we got to see what happens with Holloway, but I mean, if Aldo wins, that's really going to ruin everything. But if Moicano gets a decision and there's a finish in this fight, I think you could see Volkanovski, especially if he gets the win here, potentially leapfrogging, and getting that title shot. So we'll see a lot at stake here. But, um, you know, I, I kind of favor Volkanovski in this one just because I think there are, you know, it seems like every fight he's getting better and better. And with Mendez, you know, we've seen it, but Mendez has also taken a lot of damage. He's been off for a while. He's getting older. I, I think Volkanovski
0: should, I, I think there's value in him as the underdog for sure. For reference, my three, I got five on it. BJ Penn plus 400. Douglas oh, wow. Silla, Yeah. Dan Drage at plus 220 and Amanda Nunez at plus 230. Uh, I think are, I got five on it worthy. Uh, I would normally say Gustafson, but man, I I don't know if that's the case this time. We'll talk more about that fight in a moment, and we'll keep giving you the odds. Uh, Corey Anderson, a plus 135 against Eler Latifi, a minus 155. This is a nice matchup. It might not be the greatest fight in the world in the cage, but a couple of guys that are going to be in your light heavyweight top 10 for the foreseeable future, whether it be for lack of competition or just their their ability to win the right kind of matchups. Corey Anderson, uh, looked like he was going to be out of this top 15 after losing to manawan and OSP and Shogun. But then he comes back and beats Patrick Cummins and Glover Teixeira. And then you've got Eler Latifi, who has just had a sneaky, awesome run at light heavyweight. He's lost to Ryan Bader and Jan Blahovic and Gegard Musashi. And he lost to an Emmanuel Newton back in the day when Emmanuel Newton was something, but He's going to hang there. He's going to beat the Tyson Pedros and the OSPs and the John Vellantes of the world. I think that Corey Anderson, despite losing to some of those people, might be a cut above. But I don't know that I've seen anything that, that says that he can beat Ilar Latifi. But what do you think about this?
1: Yeah. Very close matchup. Uh, Anderson, obviously a great wrestler and that's sort of what he's done to win a lot of his fights. Although we have seen some finishes recently too. Uh, I just think Latifi with his power and, and his knockout ability, I think, I think he's, you know, he's the favorite right now. I think, I think he's, he's like that for a reason. Interesting too. Uh, both these guys are managed by Ali Abdelaziz. So, you know, uh, kind of, kind of, I, I mean, he's going to get a 10% regardless of who wins the fight. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, I, I think Latifi here is the guy who got a favor. just to me, he's been more impressive. If you look at his wins, Anderson, you know, you mentioned some of those wins, but like Pat Cummins, probably not in the UFC anymore. Uh, you know, there's a there's a couple you know wins in there that just aren't as impressive as what Latifi's done. Um, yeah, I like Latifi. I, I rarely ever pick against this
0: guy, and I, I don't think I can here. I, I got to take Latifi. Michael Chiesa moves up to welterweight and faces a former champion in Carlos Condit. Condit's 34 years old. Does not tell the tale of his career. He's 30 and 12, so he's fought 42 times. And I, because he started in 2002, I have to say that we know of. And there, he's got several kickboxing fights in there as well. Tia, or Carlos Conant has not won a fight since uh, 2015. He has won two fights since losing uh, the welterweight championship. He is two and I think seven in his last nine fights. You have a Michael Chiesa who at, at least finds a way to compete, although hasn't looked great since in a, really the last two and a half years, he hasn't Michael Kiesa hasn't looked great. The question that I have is who has more left in the tank for Kiesa? This would be a great win at welterweight. It would make him relevant, even though the win would look a lot better on paper than it than it really would be. How do you think this one goes?
1: You know, what's crazy to me is that Ch- uh, Condit's only three years older than Chiesa. Like, yeah. you'd think Carlo- Condit's a little bit older, but he, but he's not. He's just, you know, he's had so many wars. This is, again, another tough one, right? Like, Condit just looks so disappointing, uh, you know, since he's lost. It was basically since he lost the fight to Maya. I, he's got, what, four losses in a row. He's lost five of six. It, it's, it's really tough to say what, like, what Carlos Condit we're going to get in this fight. Um, and with Chiesa, I mean, I, I tend to lean more on the side of, like, I think there's some talent there. It's just a matter of... He just had such a big cut. I was at both of his fights. Uh so the scheduled one in April where he was supposed to fight Pettis, I was at that one, and I was at the one at 226. That guy looks like death when he cuts weight; uh, it's it's a huge cut. And you know, I spoke to him recently, and, and he basically said, you know, this camp it's so great not to focus on the cut. Like he's already at like I think 187, and he's and he's working his way down to, to 170. So that just goes to show you how big of a guy he is. And I've seen him in person; he's he's huge. So um, I, I, I'm tending to lead more towards Chiesa because I think there is some talent there. I just think bad luck's played into it. Uh, he didn't go down to Vegas for this camp because uh, sometimes he does some training at Syndicate. He stayed at home. Uh, you know, working with his guys there. It seems like he's in a better spot right now. He needs to win too. Like he's, he's really, you know, he doesn't have as big of a losing streak, but he still needs to get in there. I think we're going to see a good performance from Chiesa here. Could be totally wrong. But again, there's just so many question marks in this fight that like, I have no idea, but I got to go with the guy who I think has a little bit more upside. And that's Chiesa at this point. I think Condit, I think his best days are behind him.
0: I think the, the line of Chiesa at minus 190 and Condit at plus 165 is a fair one. I, I really think it is. I just, it, I don't know if it'll come down to skill as much as who has more gas in the tank at this point. Christiana Cyborg Santos, a minus 250 favorite over Amanda Nunez, plus 230. This is, by the UFC standards, a super fight. Two champions duking it out. You spoke to Chris Cyborg uh, ahead of this fight, James.
1: Yeah, I didn't get as much time as I wanted. Happy to still get the interview, though. But uh, I mean, she just seems like she's in a, a great place right now getting to train with Valentina Shushanko ahead of this fight, uh, who fought Amanda Nunes. So I asked Chris, you know, any insight there? And she said she's gotten lots. She's also training with Don Madge as well, who we saw get a pretty impressive debut himself. So really doing everything right, um, you know, and she's got the new gym. I mean, it seems like she's in a, a great spot. And I mean, why wouldn't you be? I mean, she's destroyed everyone she's fought. This is the first legit test for her, in my opinion, like in terms of like someone that I feel could give her a real challenge. We thought holly Holm would be that fighter but she completely outclassed holly Amanda's is an interesting case because she really hasn't looked bad at, at all other than earlier in his career career you know losing the zangano and having a few other fights that maybe weren't as impressive but i don't know man i i think i got to give the edge to cyborg just because she's been in the division longer she's you know looked impressive in all of those wins but you know nunez does have a puncher's chance but to me the fact that nunez wasn't to put away wasn't able to put away some of her opponents other than rousey other than tate um you know, she t- tells me that I, I don't think she's going to be able to do that to Chris Cyborg. So I got to go Cyborg here, but this to me will probably be the toughest test for Chris Cyborg in her MMA career because I don't think there's anyone else that even comes close at this point. And I see people saying that Chris is going to destroy Amanda. Amanda's got a
0: chance in this fight, but yes. I just think overall, I think Cyborg's a better fighter. They have such similar fighting styles. They have both developed this, this style where they keep, they keep people on the end of their punches up against the cage. And that's a style that Cyborg, I don't think, had until she, it became a realistic possibility that she'd face Ronda Rousey because the way that Chris Cyborg used to fight, she would get in close, she would clinch, and that, you know that's a, that's a recipe for disaster against Ronda Rousey despite any striking ability that she has. Since she has opened that up and she has put people at the end of her punches and not lost any power as a result, ooh, that's, that's dangerous. I think that Amanda Nunes finds openings a little bit better than Chris Cyborg, where Cyborg re- relies on... On power, and I mean a thing. Even despite the power of cyborg, she's TKOing women, not necessarily KOing women. Uh, and if you have the right type of attrition in the heart, you, you can maybe sustain it. Maybe easier said than done. But I'm with you. I think her last 365 days, by the time this fight happens, is more indicative than the 13 years of her career before that. Holly Holm and Amanda Nunes. All due respect to Marloes Kunin, because I think that she's great. I think that that's more of a test than she had ever experienced. Before that, she was facing middle-of-the-road Bantamweights. And, I mean, even even beyond that, I mean, she was facing, like, Daria, who hasn't fought since. Like, how committed were some of these people? Gina Carano. Okay, well, I mean, she obviously was good enough to, to be in that spot, but never fought since. There were a lot of women that fought Cyborg, and for whatever reason, whether they weren't committed or she beat the desire out of them. Just, just weren't there. And uh, this is just one of this was the fight to make, James. This was the right fight to make. There wasn't anybody a clear cut at 135. No 145ers exist. So this is the fight to make. And I think it's gonna come down to how well Amanda Nunes can take a punch from Chris Cyborg and how well Chris Cyborg can adapt to Amanda Nunes switching it up. Amanda Nunes does like to go to the body a lot, and uh, we haven't seen somebody. We saw Holm be able to do that with some maybe rangy kicks, but also uh, an underrated thing. Cyborg gets pushed around in the cage a lot more than people would expect. Like Holm did very, very well in that regard, Uh, muscled Cyborg around a lot more than I expected. Still, I'm expecting Cyborg to take this victory, but... Wouldn't surprise me to see Amanda Nunes win this. She is one of my I got five on it.
1: Definitely value in Nunes here. Um, She's never looked bad in a fight like recently, right? So that makes you think that she's made some improvements. And again, you talk about the style matchup. I mean, who has better striking? I mean, I give the slight edge to Chris, but they're both great strikers. They both have knockout power. Both, uh, you know, have, have looked impressive. So... Um, I mean, the best case scenario for the UFC here is two things. Maybe not the best case scenario for the Bantamweight division is either Nunes wins or you get a close fight that warrants a rematch. I think that would be great. I I think there is a potential for this to be a close fight. And uh, I I can't wait. Like, this is the type of fight that really, I think, um, you know, you want to see, you want to see someone be challenged when you have a champion who's so dominant. I think that's why people are so disappointed about the Demetrius Johnson and and TJ Dillashaw fight not happening because you wanted to see a, a legitimate, like a real close challenge there. And, uh, you know, it never happened. And now we get to see that in the featherweight division. And it's just such a, so much is riding on this fight. Like the future of the featherweight division is riding in this because if Chris wins, let's say she goes with there and knocks Nunez in the first round. What the hell do you do then? Like, it's like, they're going to have to keep pulling these fighters. Is Macy chase on going to fight? Cause you won the ultimate fighter. No one knows. So yeah, I, I don't know. Right. It's, 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 there, there's so much on the line here, but I can't wait, man. This is like, honest, man. One of my favorite fights on the card. Main event still my favorite, but still can't wait. For
0: it, and you can't trust Durandamy in a Bantamweight or a featherweight title fight. You don't right. know if she'll make it there. You don't know if she'll take the fight. You don't know if she'll fight after that. And and who's next? Is it Caitlin Vieira? I mean, she could probably compete at either division, to be honest with you. But for, from that pers- from a level perspective, I, I don't buy it. So I think the UFC should hope for a close fight. And they should probably hope that Amanda Nunes pulls it out because that gives them a hell of a lot more flexibility. Rematch, killing the division, you got a lot of, lot of potential there. Also, you know the UFC would love somebody to pick off... She's not a great pay-per-view draw. She's not like a needle mover by any stretch of the imagination. And the woman who beat Ronda Rousey also beating Chris Cyborg, well, then you put Amanda Nunes' name in that greatest of all time talk, which she might already be in, but can't wait for that fight. We got the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. I guess this is one of those situations where once they... Touch glove, or once the decision is read, Daniel Cormier gets stripped of the light heavyweight championship. And I I like that. That's that's what they're doing without necessarily saying it because, hey, you never know with these two guys. John Jones, where's his head at? Alexander Gustafson, will he even make it to the fight the week of? Because he's facing a longer layoff than John Jones is. And there are a tease of new titles. We'll talk about that soon. But light heavyweight championship, John Jones thrown right back in there. Is that the right move?
1: Yes, I I think. I think for sure it's uh, this. This was the fight to make. Um, I was at the first UFC event I ever covered was actually 165 with Jones and Gustafson. I was cage side. It was like you know one of the best experiences of my life getting to see that fight. And now to do this fight to have it for a title, I I think. I think this makes sense. I mean, I cannot think. I, I think this might be the only time in MMA history, and and you know, hear me out for a second here, that we have so many question marks going into such a pivotal fight because there's so many like question marks just like even just starting with jones okay obviously the steroid stuff obviously you know the layoff i mean he has fought once a year but still i mean there's been a lot of gaps compared to when he was i mean he was a lot more active early in his career so fighting once a year since then how is that impacting him he's older the pressure of winning the pressure of being the former champion there's so many things on jones's end and then on gustafson it's like he's slowed down a bit he's had some fights that he hasn't won like i was looking at his record i think he's what three and two since the first jones fight that's not great
0: um you know, and, and then Chavez. he spoke, spoke openly about John Jones not training for that first fight. It was not a secret. Yeah. I was nowhere near plugged into in the inside of the MMA world back. I'm still on now, and even I heard that John Jones wasn't training for that fight.
1: Yeah, so that that's what I mean. Like, like, wh- like, what are we going to be able to see? And then we have to remember too that the Cormier fight. I mean, a lot of people they, they have short memories. Cormier was winning that fight before Jones caught him. I mean, he didn't look great. He didn't look great in the OSP fight. How's he going to look here? I mean, I I see people, I see a lot of people on social media like, oh, he's going to destroy Gustafson. No one really knows. I mean, we don't. We really don't. Like, you know, was he doing steroids? We don't know. What was, was he not? Is is he really that good? I mean, no one really knows here. And then you have, and then add in the fact that Gustafson's had an even longer layoff than Jones has, and he's getting up there and he's, he's taking some damage. I mean, forget about the first Jones fight. Anthony Rumble Johnson knocked him out. I mean, there's fight, you know, Cormier's landed some good shots on him. There's so many like question marks into this fight. But if we're just looking at this on paper, how can you go against John Jones? I mean, that to me, I, I there's no way I bet this fight. I'll tell you that because I just, there's too many question marks, but that's what makes this so special. And what a way to end this year where it's been a crazy year for MMA to have this fight as the last fight of the year for the UFC. To me, it doesn't get any better than this. Like I had just to give you a little insight. And I don't want to go off on a rant here, but like I was supposed to do a family thing that night. And my wife's like, yeah, you know, I put this in the calendar and I said, well, no, no, you're you didn't run this by me, like John Jones <laughs> is returning. Like I'm not missing this. There's no way in hell I'm missing this. So I got some angry in-laws at me, but I John Jones is coming back. I'm not missing it. There's no way in hell I would not watch this on PVR. You know, later the next day, I have to watch this live. I'm going to be watching with some friends. I can't wait for this fight.
0: Jones is a minus two sixty five favorite. Gusevson a plus two forty five underdog. I think there is value in Gusevson, but I'm pumped for this fight and I'm pumped for this card because it's a great card. From the prelims all the way up to the main event. I'm stoked for this card. It's fantastic. It's a good looking one. I'm picking Jones to win, uh, however. And then, two days later, we have this double shot of Ryzen. And Showdown Joe, the commentator, had no idea that this was going to be a double shot. But we do have Floyd Mayweather Jr. against Tenshin Nasakawa in a, an exhibition How do you think this goes? Floyd is really making it sound like we're going to get in there and move around.
1: Whatever it is, Floyd's got to look good. There's no way he takes this fight. I mean, I I would not even be surprised if, if, you know, uh, tension just ignores the rules, goes after him and Floyd just gets out of the ring and just jumps out.
0: That'd be the best case scenario.
1: Like, like it's possible something like that could happen. It's Japan. Anything goes, man. We've seen this over the years. I mean, we had Jose Canseco fight in the, in the ring, uh, you know, in, in Japan. So anything's possible. First off, it's just so weird to see Floyd, Floyd Mayweather's name here on Topology because they, they listed as a boxing <laughs> gun, obviously. Uh, so that, that's kind of freaking me out. But but two, um I just expect the unexpected in this fight because I just think there's knowing Floyd, knowing his brand, knowing how much he's worth, there's no way he's gonna look bad in this fight. And if there's any hint of that, if there's any, you know, rules being broken, I think he taps out the same way he did when he, you know, went on that Instagram post. I, I think we could see something crazy here. But it's Japan, man. That's what I love about this. Anything goes, man. Like you got, you know, cans of soup damn around in the ring anything anything goes right so
0: yeah i here's what i hope happens i hope they do an exhibition for two rounds and then round three nasakawa throws one kick and floyd leaves the ring he ain't suing nobody in japan good luck buddy he'll be tied up forever best case scenario for all involved floyd gets his name in the news nasakawa gets his name in the news rising gets their name in the news you can have the the very contrived like camp versus camp pull apart And end the show. I think that would be fantastic. Also on this show, Gabby Garcia facing a total can. You have uh, Rina Kubota uh, in action. You have Kana Asakura against Ayaka Hamasaki. These women's fights, what stands out to you? It's just wild. Gabby Garcia, Floyd Mayweather, same show
1: well I, I'm, I'm actually intrigued with the uh, Shinju Eau Claire fight uh, I've been pretty high on her the last couple of years and she's making a return she hasn't fought since the last uh, rise card because uh, she had surgery and uh, you know she's making her comeback she's fighting someone who's 0 and 0 but I I mean this to me looks like sort of a setup fight for her because they, they love her in Japan she's a good looking girl she's a flyweight. I mean there's a lot of uh, ways you can market someone like this so I think they're going to go on her but yeah the Gabby Garcia I mean it's just a, you know it's a freak show uh, the, the Reina fight um, you know some intrigue there uh, Reina's look good with that 7 and 2 record um, I, I mean there's a lot of interesting matchups here. Am I going to stay up and watch it? Potentially. Um, my birthday's on New Year's Eve. So, you know, sometimes I stay up and watch the Japanese cards, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far they always deliver with the women's fight. So you can, I, I think you've got to watch all of them, right? Because there's always something interesting that can happen.
0: Also on this show, Justin Scoggins, UFC veteran who didn't necessarily have the best go of it, but lots of talent. He's on the show, Brandon Halsey, a former Bellator champion who I mentioned earlier on this show. So Some name value on this show for Western fans, but none bigger than what I just, I was surprised, shocked, and like pleasantly surprised that this fight was made. Kyoji Horiguchi versus Darian Caldwell for the inaugural Ryzen Bantamweight Championship. This is one hell of a fight, James. I, I mm-hmm. would argue this may be, the highest level fight in rise in history.
1: I agree with that. And by the way, when you said you were uh, surprised, I thought you were going to say that Emmanuel Newton is still fighting because he's on this card too, but uh, he no, uh, I, yeah. yes, wow. yes, he's fighting. He's fighting Uriah uh, Prokacha. P- I forget how you say that guy's name, but uh, he, he's been around. He's got a 22-3 and record. Not looking good for Newton in that fight, in my opinion. No. But uh, getting, back, getting back to the fight at hand, I agree, man. This is, this is one of the best fights outside the UFC in years, in my opinion. I mean, this is as high level as it gets. You've got Caldwell, who's fought as high as 45, coming down and fighting a guy who fought as low as 25 in Horiguchi. And Horiguchi has only looked bad in one fight, and he didn't even look bad in that one. That was against Demetrius Johnson. I mean, this guy has been on a roll and uh, he, he just doesn't seem to lose. And, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that the UFC, you know, I mean, I, I think people will agree was just a mistake letting him go. He's exciting. And Caldwell, he's just trying to, you know, get his name out there, uh, you know, winning at featherweight and at bantamweight. Um, I, I can't wait for this one. I have no idea who's going to win this fight. I mean, you would almost favor Caldwell just because he's a bigger guy coming. You know He's fought as high as 45. But I don't know, man, Horiguchi gets surprised. He's a fast little guy.
0: And uh, I'm looking forward to it. On the other card, you have some kickboxing bats. You have Kawajiri in action. You have Shugiyama on the show. You have Takashi Inoue uh, as well. Does anything stand out to you there? I mean, obviously, uh, Kawajiri being on 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 the card. You know, that's some nice name value. He's been there. The the or he returned in the December 2016 New Year's Eve show. Uh, anything stand out to you there?
1: Not really. This is probably one I'll skip, or at least yep. I'll watch the next day type thing. Um yeah, Joe's i Joe's mean, reviewing I
0: guess... this one for us, that's for damn sure. Yeah, that, that's
1: what that's why we have Joe around here. You know, you gotta you gotta get the insight. But uh yeah, I mean nothing really stands up. I, I don't really know a lot of these fighters, to be honest. Um I mean Cow Jury I'm familiar with, but Cow Jury's had a rough go. He needs a win. He only has one win in his last what, one, two, three in, in a in a couple different fights. So um, you know, for him it's it's been very difficult to uh to obviously um, you know, get get a win. So he needs to
0: get back in the winning uh, win, winning column. Guys, do us a solid. Leave a thumbs up on this video. Subscribe to the MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. And most importantly, visit FightfulMMA.com. We're going to try to go to Showdown Joe for a Ryzen preview, if I can get him on on Hangout soon. Uh, He is in Kazakhstan and uh, covering Ryzen. He's got, or covering Titan rather. He's got Ryzen coming up soon. But uh, I want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas. A lot of you guys will... Uh, see so we've still got Raw and SmackDown podcasts those days, but uh, the content's going to keep rolling that week for Fightful.com and I want to thank you guys for being here with us on the new MMA and boxing YouTube channel uh, as it was pointed out on YouTube though, James, Newton pulled out, Halsey was his replacement
1: oh, there you go, it's a good thing I checked these things so they got to update that
0: yeah. replace one Bellator champion with another exactly. or another standout, why not? Uh thank you guys so much follow James at Lynch on Sports follow me at Sean Rossat follow us at Fightful MMA until next time we're out